There are certain rules how the world works, and there are ways how we have been doing things all our life. We take a dive into an alternative perspective. Hello everyone, welcome to Spill the Tea podcast, where we challenge the conventional by sharing a cup of tea with our guest. It's Keisha, this time taking over our virtual studio here at Spill the Tea. Today, we have a special guest all the way from Canada, the author of the book Millennial Money Queens. She is a chartered investment manager and money coach. She has been featured in Yahoo Finance, MSN Money, Market Watch, and many more. She is joining me today to share her expertise and talk about all things money. Miss Maria Alcantara. We are so glad to have you here, Maria. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure, Keja. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so a little bit about me. I am in Canada right now, but originally from Brazil. And um, it's, an, it's an important part of the story because, you know, sometimes in North America, people can be a little bit sheltered about what happens in the world and how wealth is dispersed around different parts of the population. So in Brazil, we're notoriously known for the big polarities, right? Lots of wealth and lots of poverty. So I grew up seeing that. And that really marked me from a young age. So I always knew that I wanted to do something to help people have more access to money, have better financial education, make better money decisions, so they didn't have to suffer so much. And uh, long story short, I moved to Canada with my parents when I was young. I studied psychology, and eventually I went into finance. So in finance, uh, I spent about a decade becoming a uh, financial advisor. So I studied, I, I worked in banking and I worked in investment management and all that really set me up for a great career. But it's almost like you have a doctor that's only available to people who are healthy, right? We're helping people in wealth management. We're helping people who already have wealth, have more wealth and retain their wealth and share it you know, with their families and so on. But what really all, always uh, spoke to me was the people that really suffered and because they, they had horrible financial conditions. So I decided, you know what, uh, I'm gonna do some research. The more I researched, the more I found that young people, especially women, they are lacking so much education. They're lacking really the foundational knowledge on how to handle money and how to handle their own personal finances, how to invest, how to save and how to build a financial future for themselves. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to leave the corporate world behind. I'm going to take a big leap of faith and God help me. And I'm going to focus on helping these women and sharing my knowledge and giving back everything that I've learned. And uh, that's how it all started. So it's been a great ride. And, you know, that's uh, that's the mission now. Oh, wow. That's that's such a great story. And the fact that, you know, you take a, <laughs> uh, you know, leap of faith in helping, you know, millennial women and resign from that corporate world. I can't imagine how hard that must be. Or maybe it was easy for you. When you talk about like, you know, millennial women, do you have any memorable stories or moments that made you or probably like a trigger point for you to basically choose this path? Yeah, for sure. So I remember working with um, a specific client. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really talk about client work, but this one I've spoken to her about it, and she's a help. She's fine with me sharing this story because it's so inspirational. <laughs> so this girl, she grew up in uh, North America, and um, she grew up from like a blue collar family, right? So you know, her parents were working class people, and they always had like this very close mentality about money, and they always told her you have to go to school, you have to study, you have to do, you have to follow the rules and this and that. And she did everything she was supposed to do. And, you know, she's in her mid twenties, late thirties, and she's a friend of mine. So she calls me and she says, 
you know, I, I don't know what to do anymore. She was having a panic attack actually at that moment. And I, I think it's important that we talk about mental health because it's a, it's a topic that's coming up a lot more and a lot of people deal with it. Mm-hmm. And money is actually a, a huge source of stress, right? So she's in the middle of this panic attack and she's like, Maria, I don't know what to do. Like, I have so much debt. I have so much student debt. And I said, like, in the middle of a panic attack, right? So she can't really, you know, express breathe. herself and breathe. Exactly. So I said, okay, well, let's talk about it. And this has been a close friend of mine for a long time. And I never knew about this. She finally opened up because she finally, she couldn't take it anymore. The stress was just too much. And on the outside, everything seemed perfect, right? So she followed what her parents told her. She went to school. She got the education. She, for you know, she omitted the fact that she had to get into huge amounts of debt to get that education that her advisors, her parents, her teachers, everybody, um, counseled her to do and then she expected that she would get this big job and she would be able to pay back but that didn't happen and this is a story of so many people so when a personal friend calls me in this state I said well I just have to do something about it so she finally opened up to me and she said you know I I can't I can't imagine not having been able to talk to you for so long about this but I just I couldn't handle it anymore so she shared to me what her situation was. She was transparent about it. She was honest about it. And then I built a plan for her and I started coaching her. So really we talked about early actually about the psychology of money. That's where everything came from because she was so stressed about everything money related that she couldn't make any moves. Like she was just stuck. And then she had the voices of her parents in the background talking. So she couldn't really think for herself when it came to money. What did she want from her life? What was her own perception about money? She believed that money is the root of all evil. So if people believe that, why would they want more of the root of all evil, right? They kind of want to stay away from that. And that is a hugely wildly held belief. So long story short, just to sum it up, she once she opened up to me, we built, we built the plan together. We put it into action. I was really working closely with her. Like every other day, I would be calling her, texting her, how are you doing? Like, how's this doing? Really coaching her through all the steps. And then that was the first transformation story. So she said, you know, you've done this for me. I have other friends who are in the same situation. And I know so many other people, like, you gotta share this with the world. And then that was really the pivotal moment where I was like, you know what? I think people need my help more than they do at the office right now. So let's (laughs) switch things up a little bit. Oh my God, that's such a great story. I think now I have to look out for my friends who, who studied finance then. Uh, then maybe I can get like a free consultation like you there and you your go. friend. Yeah, and it's good for them because they get to practice. You know, when we're all learning, we have to gain experience. Right, and it's it's funny that, that you mentioned that so many people think that money is the root of all evil when, you know, yeah. sometimes it's the one that's bringing us joy at the same time. It's actually crazy to think about it. And so, Maria, like, I finished reading your book uh, last night, and clearly you published Millennial Money Queens at the right time because this year is where everyone start to focus on growing their wealth due to the pandemic. I think mm-hmm. this is also the time where most of us realize that we must learn how to control money instead of uh, money controlling us, which, yeah, is, exactly. uh, which is a scary uh, realization. And also this book is specifically targeted towards uh, millennial women mm-hmm. in general. Uh, from your experience, what makes it so different from any other specific segment? 
So when I first started, I didn't want to focus just on women. And a lot of people that were kind of coaching me through early business, they said, you know, it's very important when you're starting a business that you know exactly who your audience is, who is your perfect customer. And I said, well, everybody needs money help. It's not just millennial women, you know? And they said, but you know what? Find somebody who you can talk to easily, who can, you can relate to. And I am a millennial woman, of course. And I said, well, if I can talk to them like a friend, then that's probably going to be a better relationship for us to work together. And then that's why I decided to work on millennial women. But that's not the only reason. The reason was that the more research I did, the more I found that millennial women specifically, it's an interesting group, okay? Because we are the first generation of women who are, have grown with so much access to money and to the financial world. You know, a lot of us have become financial professionals like myself. We have access to credit, we can invest, we can do all these things. But our mothers, for instance, in the 70s, they couldn't get at credit so easily. It's only, it's only since the 70s that we, women have been able to do that. So we are highly educated. We have access to money. We grew up with some very important female role models that were almost in existence before, or you know, a very small percentage of the population. It used to be much more of a man-led world. And so you would think that this group of people, millennial women today, they would be prepared to flourish and to succeed. And yet we see so much, so much high rate, so many high rates of debt, especially amongst millennial women. We see that they're not making as much money as they could be. And most of all, what really struck me is their mental health. They're very stressed about money. Okay. So this is taking a big toll in, in their way of living and in the way that they decide to start families. And then, you know, that impacts all of society. So when I found that these women were really the ones that were suffering and I was the one who was able to speak to them directly, I said, well, why is this happening, right? To get back to your question. What seems to be happening is that we need to go back a little bit to the money psychology, which is always the root of everything. So I, I, I'm trained in you know, traditional finance. We don't really talk about money psychology. We just wanna know about dollars and cents and this is how much you need to save, this is how much you need to invest. Your emotions and your feelings, they don't really matter so much. But that's not actually true in reality because we are human beings. We're not computers. Otherwise, we wouldn't have such high debt problem, right? If everybody was logical, like the traditional financial theories, you know, that our world is built on, believe, well, why would anybody make a bad financial decision? You know, if they have access to all the information, they should be smart enough to, to be fine. But we're human. We have emotions. We have you know, all kinds of thoughts and beliefs and dreams. So all that creates a space where these women with all these tools right now, the education, the technology, the access to money, they're still suffering. And why? That's because of outdated beliefs. That's because they, they still believe that they are not necessarily good with money. They believe that it's not necessarily their role to, to manage money, to talk about money. So all this comes from very outdated stuff from like, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, where women were basically, you know, you stay home, you raise the kids, or, you know, you're not, you're not in charge of managing anything, you're not independent. And so all that is still playing in the background. Like I sometimes I talk to my family members, some, you know, aunts and grandmothers, and for them talking about money is almost scary. It's taboo. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. That's a man's job. Mm -hmm. So unconsciously women still have all of this heavy baggage that they're not good with money that they're not smart enough to handle money that it's not their job 
And so when it comes to managing their paycheck or to asking for a raise, then you know they just kind of let it go. And so this perpetuates, right? And if we don't change this now, we're going to pass that on to our children. That's why my focus is on millennial women. So we, we impact this generation and the future generations as well. Wow. Wow. That's amazing in what you do. You can, <laughs> you can really make a difference here in, you know, changing uh, this generation's mindset. And from that, from what you're saying, I completely agree with you because when I wanted to try out, you know, buying stocks and signing up for robo advisor, I had a discussion with my dad because mm-hmm. as a foreigner here, the law and tax applies differently. So I had to consult mm-hmm. with him. Right. So mm-hmm. I remember when we had this discussion, my mom, my mom said uh, something like she didn't even think about investment and saving up when she was my age. And there I, you go. <laughs> I think that has to do with the previous generation mindset of the fact that men will do everything when it comes to money. So exactly. I, so I think what you're saying is right. And what an important job you have here, Maria, <laughs> uh, in educating uh, millennial women in general. So this brings me to my next question about financial literacy. Why do you think it's not discussed more often in schools and how can this be better? Well, um, I think that this was, uh, you know, it's a, it's a touchy subject because I do believe that it was uh, almost sort of intentional that people were not properly financially educa- educated. If you look at how our system is built and you understand how the economic system works in North America and all over the world, I don't know so much about other countries, but, you know, more European and North American, and it's all based on a lot of debt, right? So if you have people that are not necessarily money savvy and they get into debt, and the lenders are giving them money and then they're basically chained their whole lives and they make a lot of money on that. So it's almost like it worked better if people just follow the job, the, the structure, right? So you get a mortgage, that's debt. And if you need any little, if you want a little bit more, well, you need to get into more debt. And then we put this picture of like this perfect rich life, which is obviously an illusion, right? We all want more money, but more money is not necessarily going to make everybody happy. I mean, unless you're really like in the poverty level, more money won't necessarily change you who you are as a person. It may be fun, sure, but it's not really, it's not really a true source of lasting happiness. So like we're human beings, we need more than that. So the financial education, I personally believe that was almost intentionally left out of our education system, but that's changing now because a lot of people are raising their hands and they're saying, well, how come, you know, I need to know these things. You see, you see in the US like such huge problems with student debt. And that comes from the fact that they did not necessarily know what they were getting into. And so with the internet nowadays, you have people like myself, there's many, many, many people trying to teach this kind of stuff online, just openly sharing what they know and saying, hey, even your advisor, your advisor is making a lot of money on sometimes on giving you not always the best advice because sometimes they are salespeople and they're making a commission. So Mm -hmm. the financial education that is lacking is changing because sometimes it is offered in schools and is becoming more and more and more offered in schools. There's a lot more organizations that are offering. The internet is allowing people to be more exposed to it. You know, I don't necessarily believe that people should be taking financial advice from people on TikTok, but it's great (laughs) that we're talking about it, right? So like you have like, you know, cryptocurrency booms and all these things and things that were memes, they become actual assets, right? Like Dogecoin and all these things. But it's important that we talk about it so it becomes normal. So it's not centralized, but just like, you know, 1% of the population. And it becomes a resource available for really everybody. 
So that's changing and I'm glad to see, and I'm doing my part with, you know, publishing books and courses. I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people doing that. And yeah, I see the schools are starting to take a step up too. I think education in general is going to change as, uh, as our society evolves. So I'm sure financial education is going to take a step up uh, in that sense as well. Yeah, I hope so too. And I can say that you are one of the major contributor in that as well. So thank you so much for that. And, you know, I hope oh, there, you. <laughs> I hope there will be more people like you that open our mind and our perception towards money in general. So, and what you say is right. I think that's why a lot of people, despite having student debts, etc., we don't have the time to understand and instead depend on organization or banks mm -hmm. to control our money. And so mm -hmm. now let's talk more about the trends that we are seeing right now. I remember you mentioned briefly about uh, rich kids of the internet in your book. And, <laughs> you know, we see posts about young kids flexing their branded items and luxury cars, which of course create a sense of uh, FOMO among their viewers, right? So mm -hmm. we have seen in other countries where young adults are taking out loans just to spend on luxurious items, just to look posh. I remember because my friend's dissertation was about this. So, and I wow. found it, <laughs> and I found it really scary that young people are eligible for this kind of loans. So, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because like, you know, banks who are lending the money are making money on that, and that's crazy. Sorry, I guess really emotional <laughs> about that. Yeah, it's it's so scary when I think about it. Like you just sign up to you know for a debt for temporary happiness, which is crazy. So when yeah. I read your book, you focus a lot on the importance of changing an individual's mindset and changing mm -hmm. their perception and relationship towards money. Since mm -hmm. you are from psychology background, it would be interesting to hear your thoughts. Why do you think our perception of our wealth might be distorted? I think that um, this is a very deep question you're <laughs> asking. So I think it goes to the fact that people, we created this like this almost this like illusionary life, right? So we look around us and we see shiny objects, you see like, you know, gadgets, see all these fancy things. And it kind of takes uh, our, our attention away from uh, true things that are inside of us that are making us hurt, that are not fixed, you know, with a purchase. So I think a lot of people in our society, you know, we're still learning how to be really good and decent people. Sometimes we hurt each other a lot. And I think that these things weigh on us for so long for like, you know, lifetimes. And I think that this is a distraction. It's a way of us not looking within and actually working on ourselves and, you know, forgiving the people that we need to forgive or asking for forgiveness to the people that we do need to, you know, make amends to or dealing with real root problems that we have in our lives like that our behavior sometimes that isn't the best for a happy life maybe we're very grumpy people maybe we're grudgy and all these things that leads to depression anxiety and very low levels of happiness so my belief is that we use material objects and we use wealth as a way of distracting ourselves from what's actually going to make us happy in life and again, sure, maybe the luxury stuff is fun and I don't I don't tell anybody to not go for it. I think it's 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 pretty, it's fun, let's be real, you know. And I think that the material world and physical goods, you know, they're there to kind of be enjoyed as well, but not at the expense of somebody else. You know, it's not right for us to want to keep everything for ourselves when you see somebody starving in the street. That's a human 
that's beyond money. That's a human thing, right? Like when you see human suffering and you choose instead to buy yourself another piece of fancy clothing, instead of giving a meal to a fellow human being, that goes into very deep levels of the human psychology that we're all still working on and we're all still trying to improve. So that's what I think that this fascination with wealth and things come from. It's just a distraction from what's important the real heavy work, which is, you know, the whole self-development, getting into, you know, almost like spiritual things that takes a lot of courage to face. All right. That's a really interesting point you made there about making material objects to give you basically a short-term happiness. So absolutely. (laughs) I think that's why most of us do not trust ourselves when it comes to managing our own money. We have money blocks and we are still struggling with, you know, conscious spending in general. So mm-hmm. now let's get to the fun bit, getting your advice yeah. and tips. Yeah. <laughs> so before this podcast, I asked my friend who are millennials and I asked them if they have any question about financial management, especially the ones mm-hmm. that are related to them as a millennial. And most of them ask the same thing. So the first All one right. is, How do I spend less? Even though I'm spending only what I need, is there any magic I can do with my savings? And the second one is with minimum salary and an increase of cost of living, how do we have Mm -hmm. savings? Okay, those are really, really good questions. And they're so important because a lot of people are are dealing with that right now, right? Right. So the first question about spending, it goes back to kind of what we just talked about is that we kind of spend to distract ourselves and to just buy like little shots of happiness, right? So I have these great tools that I use. I use questions, right? So I ask myself three golden questions before any purchase that I make. The first question is, is this actually going to make me happy? Like on the long term, what is, what value is this bringing to me? So is it just like, you know, a five minute piece of like a bar of chocolate or is it going to bring me something more valuable? Like, am I investing my education? So what value beyond money am I getting from this purchase? The second one is, can I wait a little bit? So if you give yourself like 30 days uh, before you make that purchase, you'll find that it often fades because we're bombarded with marketing all the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just go into like impulse buys, right? So if you wait a little bit, you'll find that sometimes it just kind of fades. Like, you know, sometimes you have a little sugar craving and you have a little piece of chocolate. But if you wait a little bit, you may go away. And then the third one is, can you get a better deal? So it's always finding the best price for everything. And most of the time, we can spend less just by spending more smartly, more consciously. So it's not spending on automatic pilot because we're being marketed to. It's using really your thought process to analyze your purchasing behavior. And on top of that is using technology because, you know, the human mind can be a little funny and emotions and everything. It's always important to keep bringing this back when it comes to conversations about money, because that's really what's driving everything. So in order to help you with that, I help people build. um, I don't like to use the term budgeting because I feel like a lot of people get like they feel constricted. They're like, oh, like I work so hard for this money. I just want to spend it, you know? So when I tell you, well, you only have 10 bucks to spend now, they're like, you know, like, what's the deal? Like, I work so hard. I'm in this hamster wheel. When can I enjoy my money? So we do something that's uh, we we automate all our finances, right? So I recommend starting different bank accounts for different purposes. So, you know, you have your living expenses and then you calculate how much you would spend on like fun. That's usually where a lot of people our age are spending money. You know, they're going out like if you if there's anybody that drinks, well, going out for drinks really, really, really adds up. And, you know, just going out for dinners and that kind of stuff or spending on clothes, like all these little things, they really add up. So calculate how much 
uh, that's that makes sense for you. Usually it's about like 10 to 20% of people's spending. And, uh, and then make sure that you put money into that account at the beginning of the month or when you get your paycheck so that you say, this is what I have. And then you feel wealthy because you say, oh my God, I have all this money in this account. And then that's it. You know, once that's done, that's, that's all you have. But it doesn't feel like you have to watch your spending so much. It's just like you have little funds. So when people feel like they have little funds for everything, they feel like they're managing money well and they feel good about it and they feel good about their expenses. So do this with every category that you have. And this is for goals as well. So when it comes to saving, we're not very good with saving as, a, as, a, as people in general because um, we have a hard time projecting for the future. We like to live, you know, sometimes we like to say like, I just immediate gratification. I just want to spend now. So why am I going to save for future? Because our mind sometimes has, a, has difficulty grasping that the future is even real, right? We're like, I'm here now. I, I want to spend money. Yeah. And even though people like financial people like me, we're always telling you money grows. Just it'll grow like a tree. Invest it, water it. It will grow. And they're like, yeah, I know. But, you know, I see this new shoes on sale. I want it now. So always have accounts for your goals and then make it automatic. So you don't even see the money transfer. The first time I started doing this with myself, like, Everything that I teach, I experimented on myself first and I saw what was my reaction, how did it make me feel, and did it work? So I was astonished to see how by making it automatic, I would like find accounts that I sometimes would forget about with like hundreds of dollars in it. And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about this money. And then by the end of the year, I'm like, well, I have thousands of dollars. Like I could go on vacation. I could do this. I could do that. And I didn't even feel it because it just became like automatic. It's like, um, I don't know what, where you guys are, but sometimes in North America, right? There's withholding taxes on your um, on your paycheck, right? So your employer will withhold taxes to pay ta taxes to the government for you. You don't feel that, you don't realize it. You don't know, but then that's taken care of as opposed to people who work independently and they don't have that withholding tax and then they get a tax bill. So, you know, if you keep doing it all along and you just keep I call it planting seeds. So you just keep dispersing the seeds, you keep putting it in different accounts and you have a goal in mind. So you visualize it and you know, and it makes it more real for you. It makes the whole savings and um, budgeting process so much easier. All right. Thanks so much for that, Maria. From your opinion and your book, it is clear that we need to allocate our income and strategize from there. So most of us though still find this really, really difficult because like what you said, like we don't know how to start, but you yeah. know, simply by categorizing or probably opening few accounts, then we can do this and realize that the money is doing our work and then make that money tree grow. Like what you said. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's money management, right? It's, it's, it's not about how much you have. It's about learning how to manage what you have and how to grow it. And then you're asking about growing your income, right? So, you know, so many people are living on like minimum wage or very low incomes and salaries. And living, cost of living is just, it's, it's crazy. It just keeps going up. And so I completely understand that. Like sometimes I look at even my own situation and I just, it's not necessarily how much money you make, right? It's always ratios because you can make a lot and spend a lot and things get more expensive. So it's this never ending like uphill thing, right? So I, I think jobs are really, really good. And I always recommend that people go get jobs and they get, um, they get experience and they get to learn from other people and the social aspect. But I think for millennial people specifically, trying things on their own, I think is a great time because we have time, right? Time is the most important factor when it comes to investing. 
the more time you have, the more time you have to grow. So that is you as a person, that is you as an entrepreneur, that is you as a business person, and that is for your uh, your um, your investments as well. So jobs, uh, you're capped, right? Every no matter where you go, there's going to be a cap in the salary, and it's because it fits into the business's finances. It has to work with with what their big picture, but it may not work for you, right? It may not work for your lifestyle and what you desire. And it's important to know what we want and not just to say. Well, you know, my dad did this or my dad was, uh, you know, he worked in this kind of business. And so it's only normal that I do the same thing. But it's to really ask yourself, what do you want from your life? Know what kind of lifestyle you want. Know how much that lifestyle will cost you. And then see, well, how can I make more money? Most of the time, it's not going to be in jobs. Most of the time, when people want a little bit higher level of life, of a lifestyle, they want more flexibility instead of, you know, working a typical nine to five that will require that you start something on your own that is uncapped potential. And that usually comes with this. So in my career, I've seen close to almost a billion dollars being managed by very different kinds of people, very large sums of family wealth, families that have done very well and generated hundreds of millions of dollars for the families themselves, for people, individuals, young people as well. The common trend always was that everybody had a business. And it's easier than ever to start a business. It may seem scary at the beginning, and I completely understand. You don't know what you're doing, right? And especially with the internet, you have access to like a whole world, right? We're talking from across the world. It's nighttime where you are. It's daytime where I am. But we have access to each other, and that's completely new. We can share our knowledge. We can share our information this way. And so when you start creating this kind of communication, you never know what can come out of it. So... A lot of people in our generation are kind of obsessed with passive income. Passive yes. income is amazing, but passive income, there's a little bit of a, a myth there, right? Because it takes a lot of work to create passive income and people don't realize that. So a lot of people in our generation, they say they want to be an entrepreneur. They may even identify as an entrepreneur, but they don't realize that it'll take years probably until they start generating passive income. And you know what? That's okay. That's completely fine because this is the time to do it. So if you're, you know, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, whatever, this is the time for you to start something. So in your evenings, like you guys are doing in the weekends, start something and you never know where it's going to go, but you have to give it the time to grow. And you are going to have to learn along the way because things move so fast nowadays. So growing your income always starts with you finding ways to start something for yourself. The internet is the best place to start right now. Everybody has knowledge they can share. Everybody has something to offer. And um, if you sign the book, there's a whole section on teaching you how to find, you know, what's special about you, what you can share, what unique skills that you can have. And then we also have a, a program, right, to teach you how to package that into a product that, that can be sold. And that is automated, right? So you don't have to be there, you know, producing every time you deliver a product. You produce it once. Internet products are great because of that. And then they kind of grow on their own. That's true. And I agree with you. Now, having a passive income is like a must for most of us. And I think it's also a way to avoid thinking about our job most of the time, maybe. It's like yeah. uh, another activity that keeps you excited or because it's also an activity that where you can obtain something, additional income to say. You know, I use a robo advisor and a broker for a start and I still want to uh, explore my option. Uh, I also take advantage of my skills, you know, as someone who speaks more than one language, it is possible to get gigs 
for translations or proofreading mm -hmm. to get extra cash. And what I notice is uh, nowadays, if you look at your circle of friends, it's quite mm -hmm. common to see most of them are not only earning from their current job. So, mm -hmm. so we know that having multiple revenue streams is the best way to invest, like what you mentioned just now. And Maria, exactly. bringing back to the millennial part of this topic, I think yeah. some uh, millennials are also included in the sandwich generation which means that they are a group of middle-aged adults who, who care for both their aging parents and their own children. And yes. simply a different strategy applies to these kind of groups, right? So my question is, how do you think we should prepare ourselves before starting a family or moving to the sandwich generation? Yeah, that's a big deal because especially with people who are in their 40s right now, I've worked a lot with them and uh that, that's one of the main reasons why they're financially stressed is because they're handling so many different needs, you know, whether it's taking care of um, caregiving for your parents, which can be really expensive, or childcare preparing for that, that can be really expensive too. So to prepare for that, I think that the first thing is to talk to your own parents. And that is a huge thing, okay? Because a lot of people don't talk about money with their parents until it's a bomb that's literally blown up in the family, okay? And that is a big problem. Guys, I've seen this in every level of income, okay? Like, this is not just, you know, sometimes they feel like, oh, my family is kind of broke. We don't have so much money. We don't like to talk about it. It's stressful. I see this with people who are like beyond multimillionaires. They still don't like to talk about money with their kids, okay? <laughs> so again, this goes back to the mindset. It's just about making, talking about money normal and having it a lighthearted conversation. So it's really to come to your parents and be honest about it and say, hey, you know what? Like, I've seen this happen so much. Like, what's your plan? Do you even have a plan or is this going to fall on my shoulders? If not, like, let's work together because I'm not prepared to handle this on my own. Many times, again, these people already have debt on their own and then they have to handle taking care of their parents. And then, you know, everybody, not everybody, but the people that do have a family, they have little ones and they want to save college. It's like, it becomes this like overwhelming monster, right? Yeah. So the first thing is to, you know, handle your own debt. First of all, don't don't ignore you. If you have debt, that's the first thing. Stop ignoring it. Pay more than the minimum, always. Minimum payments are shooting yourself in the foot because you're actually barely getting rid of your debt. So if you have any debt, start by taking care of that because it, it will grow. That's the whole idea about money. Money is always growing. So it's either growing for you or for somebody else. Money is not static. It's not like we have a dollar or whatever currency. And it looks like it's just physical and it's like static. It's not, it's always moving. So make sure that you handle your own financial problems first. Debt, like the biggest one, because it will grow and it will haunt you forever. So take care of that. Handle it, pay more than the minimum. Even if you have to have, you know, like a little bit of time that you don't get to go out as much, you don't get to enjoy your money as much, take care of your debt. And then talk to your parents. Say, like I said, what's your plan? What are we going to do? Like, do you have a retirement plan? Do you have... Do you have any money put away? What's it going to be like? And how's your health? A lot of people don't like to talk about their health too with their children. Well, yeah. in some countries, that's going to be a, you know, it's obviously a very sad situation and it's heartbreaking. And on top of that, there's financial stress added. So that doesn't help anybody heal. That doesn't help anybody handle everything and deal with the whole situation. And then once you've handled yourself and handled your parents, then you can talk, you know, if you're talking about having children or if you already have children, start right away guys it's like the number one thing that i've seen with young people is that they don't see themselves as wealthy and some of them are making mm -hmm. good money or not 
But the idea is that it's not any any amount of money that will make anybody rich. It's not any any specific dollar value. It's not like I make a million dollars and I'll be rich. Some people make a million dollars and they're broke. Okay, so it's not any amount of money. It's how you manage it. It's how you handle it. So even if you're putting away literally one dollar a day for your child today who is unborn or who's a baby, well, by the time that kid goes to school, they'll have something. Like I always look back at my parents and I said, you know what? Like if you guys had just like every birthday money that I got, instead of buying me one more toy that I didn't really need, if you had just put that into an account, well, today, you know, I would be getting like, I don't know, I would have a, a down payment for a house or I could be going on like a, a life-changing trip that could like expand my mind or horizons or whatever. So with your kids, start today, stop postponing it because the time is the biggest factor. So compounding interest is like the number one thing that everybody needs to understand about money, like the number one financial literacy lesson. Money compounds and grows exponentially. So compounding is when you start earning interest on interest. So that creates like a, literally a loop, like like an upward slope. It really grows exponentially. The earlier you start, the better. It doesn't matter with how much. Just do it for your children. So that's about it when it comes to managing family finances and being the sandwich generation. So take care of your own dad so you don't have that extra added problem. Talk to your parents and see what kind of plan they have. If they have none, well, talk to them, build one. Uh, speak to a consultant, speak to an advisor and start putting something together. And then your children start right away. It doesn't matter how much. It could be 50 cents a dollar. It doesn't matter. They're piggy bank. It really does not matter the value. The idea is to start building the habit and to allow that money to grow because it will grow into something. And something is always better than nothing when you know, you're becoming a young adult and you're starting to build your life. Oh my gosh, okay. Now I feel like I need to start now. Like <laughs> suddenly that the intention, you know, to start <laughs> saving up now because I'm um, like what you said, you know, if we start early, then we can see the benefits in the future and how it can help us and also, you know, the future generation. So a lot of people do not feel confident in managing their money. And most people who manage to achieve like financial freedom or someone who's uh you know confident what with what they have now, their advice is to consult a coach or advisor, like what you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we have seen a lot of those, yeah, like digital nomads or coaches mm -hmm. on YouTube ads, even saw the downfall of uh, someone like Robert Kiyosaki, and mm -hmm. which is which is scary because those people we know are knowledgeable. But so my question is, how do I make sure I choose the right one? And what do I need to consider? So that's a very important question you're asking. And I think that whether you're looking to hire a mentor, a coach, or an actual advisor who's going to be, you know, closely handling money with you, it's always to know about their education. So the internet is great. And like I said, it's fantastic that people can share their knowledge and their life experience. But, you know, education does matter. And so if you find somebody who's properly financially educated, not just a blogger, who you know was able to save a hundred thousand by whatever? That's very remarkable and that's amazing. I love that they share their tips, but it's also to see the people who are actual professionals in their in their field, right? So you don't necessarily go for surgery with somebody who like performed surgery in the back of a car because they needed to, right? That's great that they did that and that's amazing and they can share and they can learn. But if you need specialized care, you go for somebody who is a professional who invested in their own education and who has that much more to offer. And so, and see how they're making their money. That is the next, like, most important question. So are they professionals? Are they properly trained? Do they have the right education to help you? And how are they making money by helping you? So is it a commission? 
a lot of advisors do this. So, you know, some internet people, they have their own products and they're selling stuff. And I, myself, I'm selling my own products and that's great, but you have to see how much money are they making off of this? That's not always transparent. So sometimes you have to dig a little bit and see, for example, if it's a financial advisor, are they referring me to an investment that is paying them a big commission, but is not necessarily right for me. So are they just trying to get as many views? And so if, it, if they're online, right, if they're, if they're like a, a TikTok person or YouTube or whatever, are they making these big promises and saying, I can help you retire in a year? Well, if you actually understand a little bit about finance, you know that if you're broke right now, you it's not it's not realistic that you're going to retire in a year. So are they making these big promises just to attract views and just to attract an audience and like, you know, well, pay me a hundred dollars right now and I'm gonna help you retire in a year. Well, that's not realistic because money needs time to grow. So if you tell me realistic expectations and you show me that like I've seen you do it, I've seen you do it with other people. And even then, social proof is sometimes live on easy to fake nowadays with the internet, right? But how are they making their money? Are they making these huge promises or are they a little bit more down to earth and they have the education and they're saying, you know what, I'm going to use my own brain. I'm going to do my own research and I'm going to see that, that that's logical. And then how do you feel about it? Because I do believe people have like a sense of intuition that is actually very good. And so like if they seem like sketchy, like it's too, like if you're too hyped and you're like so into it and like you've almost lost control of your emotions, chances are they're a very good salesperson, but not necessarily having your own best interests in their, in their work, right? Exactly. That's why um, it's scary. Maybe they can help you in the short term, but we don't yeah. know like what's their motive behind it. Are they really professional or not? Because like now YouTube ads, anyone can just pay for it. Yeah for their business to be uh, advertised there. So thanks for sharing uh, those tips, Maria. And sure. it's good to hear you know, your journey and also the tips that you shared. Of course, now since the pandemic and everything, we have seen different types of trends in cryptocurrency, robot advisors, mm -hmm. and investment applications. There are now mm -hmm. more uh, influencers, like what you mentioned, who focus on this topic as well. Yeah. And there is also a rise in the FIRE movement, right? Mm -hmm. Which means financial independent and retire early movement. So in right. fact, millennials are the first generation to plan long-term uh, for financial freedom instead of retirement. Is this true? Uh, and what are your thoughts about this? I don't think we're the first ones, but I think we're probably the most aggressive ones, I would say, because we have... Um, we have access to the whole world, right? So people kind of just want to, you know, hit 45 and just lounge on a beach. And I get it. I want that too. But I think that the whole concept of retirement needs to get a little bit of an update because it's not just human beings need stimulation. So it's not just about choosing to end work and just hang out on the beach for the next uh, 40 years of your life. I think we need to change the way we work and make more flexible in our work and have more time and balance for everything, for fun and for work. I think that these people who decided on this whole fire movement, they probably were really exhausted with their nine to five. And so they said, you know what, right. we're just gonna go even harder and we're <laughs> gonna save like seven, cause that's the idea, right? Save like 70% or like a huge amount. And that's great. But I think that you have to see if that works for your personality. Like for me personally, it doesn't work because I don't want to sacrifice uh, my lifestyle today for a promise for tomorrow that let's be honest, may not even exist. So right. like, especially with the pandemic, like I, I've lost people close to me that were like in their forties that did not expect to pass away. So we don't know what can happen. So I prefer a more balanced approach where 
I give myself a bit of money to enjoy right now. So I enjoy feeling abundant and feeling wealthy right now. And I enjoy my lifestyle today. And I also build for the future. And um, the fire movement is really all about almost the opposite. It's almost about like, you know, let's cut as much fat as we can and let's be as lean as possible so that we can like just lounge on the beach for the next like forever. And so I say, well, how about like a balance in between? And like, I want to enjoy the beach now. And I also want to enjoy it in the future. And I want to be stimulated and work. So I think it's about creating work that fits your lifestyle. And that goes back to knowing yourself, knowing what you want, knowing how much that lifestyle is going to cost you and figuring out creative ways to fund it. Right, right. I completely agree with you there. I think it depends on the personality and uh, your mm-hmm. goals in general as well. And also, this topic kind of reminds me of the podcast that uh, I did earlier with my friend regarding minimalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, it's also closely tied with the three tips that you mentioned before making a purchase. Is it like, is this going to be, is this going to make me happy? Can I wait a little bit? Uh, can I get a better deal? So I think it's closely tied to minimalism a bit. So my question yeah. is, the rise of fire movement, do you think this is also closely tied to the fact that so many millennials are suffering burnout and simply they just want to be their own boss? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember feeling that way. And uh, I think it's it's a particular cultural uh, you know, trait of our generation. We kind of, we want to be more independent, but that requires responsibility, right? That requires you sometimes having to work on a Sunday night. And we all say that we want to do it, but then, you know, you kind of like Netflix is there and you're just like, oh, I'm tired, whatever. Or, you know, you decide to have a drink and then the quality of your work is not as good. So it's about, if you want that independence, that's completely great. And I think it's commendable. And I, I was one of them and I do that. That's my lifestyle now, but it requires a responsibility for you to say, you know what, business is difficult and it is challenging because it's not one size fits all. And so mm-hmm. you have so many people online selling your program and say, oh, you know, just follow this program and you're going to build a business and it's going to be free and in fire and this and that. And it's all great. <laughs> but the truth is that we all have unique experiences. And that's part of the beauty of it is that our life is unique. And so what worked for somebody may not work for you because we are all separate, unique individuals. And so it's going to take you time to figure that out. So I think it's great that people want to be their own bosses, but realize that takes responsibility and it's going to take time for you to figure it out. And this is more of a motivation than anything else is don't give up along the way. When something doesn't work, you have creativity, you have imagination, you have a way of trying things and figuring it out. So don't get discouraged when something doesn't work or when you fail because there will be so many other opportunities for you to try things and figure things out. Like I just recently watched a a documentary about Louis Vuitton, the brand, right? So big luxury brand. And um, the man who started it, he was a 13 year old orphan boy in Paris, like by himself, like just like polishing shoes, you know, like so many brands started this way. And that company failed so many times. You guys, like when he, after Louis Vuitton actually started, he was starving in a camp with his family, like completely broke. You know, there were wars, there were things that happened, but we're going through a pandemic right now. We never know what's gonna happen tomorrow. So there will be things, life will always be throwing things at us. And if you decide that you wanna be your own boss, that's okay. You wanna cut that financial, I call it almost a financial leash, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's giving you security, but at the same time, it's keeping you at a close distance because you can't really go too far. You can't do too much. It's taking up all of your time. If you want to cut that cord, that's fantastic. But you have to have, you have to have the courage to know that sometimes it's going to get scary. Sometimes 
you're not going to know if it's going to work. Sometimes you will fail and that's okay because you will learn from that. So you have to know your personality. Are you willing to take those risks? If you're a young person, I highly recommend that you do because I think that it's um it's almost gives you a a more an enhanced feeling of life. It does give you a little bit more stress sometimes too. So, you know, sometimes expect a little gray hair to show up, but it's all in all, I think it's definitely worth it if somebody wants that kind of lifestyle because it's not something that you can gain by choosing to be employed for the rest of your life. Right. We have seen the benefits of being your own boss as well and I have seen that it is possible to do so and like what you said, LV started as failed a few times before they become established. And especially yeah. nowadays for someone who is for example involved in esports or sponsorships, they can earn a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is definitely yeah. a very interesting age for us millennials and i can't yeah. wait to see the future uh, trends on how maybe we can earn money in the future will be different again now for example we have tiktok and instagram so can't wait to see what what the future will be like Phew. that's it now i just want to close with this right because like some people get scared right they they have great ideas and what you said is amazing about people having different ways of creating income well you don't know like your idea is not going to be the next big thing and it will be challenging is not because you have the next facebook or the next tiktok in your mind that it's going to happen easily so believe in yourself and keep trying and even when you fail just have that dream and hold on to that and everybody has the opportunity and the ability to create something no matter how hard it gets i believe that everybody has something special to offer so find out what that is what kind of lifestyle you want to live and then go for it like don't be scared even if you are scared do it scared because it's worth it <laughs> yeah, I don't and especially now I don't think uh, I mean as a young person you don't have so much commitment. So it's it's good that if you start earlier then maybe you can learn from there more and then eventually you will improve your ways as well. Thanks Maria for sharing more about the importance of managing our finances and sharing your stories as well. Hope this will encourage our listeners to take more control of their money. Of course before we wrap up I have to ask you this. What is the best thing a young person can do that can benefit their finances in the future? Maybe you can share us your top three tips. Of course. So my top three tips is the hardest one is the first one actually, but that's you know usually how things work best when you start with the hardest is to look at your own psychology, your own blueprints. So what do you believe about money? Do you honestly believe that money is the root of all evil? Do you believe that money is hard to come by? Do you believe that you cannot make money? Do you believe that you cannot become a millionaire that you're not smart enough or good enough? So, if you believe those things about yourself, get to work on changing them and you work on changing them by challenging yourself with new experiences and by, you know, like just little things like affirmations and changing the thoughts, paying attention to the thoughts and then choosing new thoughts and saying, "Hey, you know what? Maybe maybe I am." Introduce doubt. Maybe I can do it. Let's see how far I can go and prove yourself wrong because everybody can do it. You know, I, I do believe that I've seen people who thought the worst of themselves, including myself. I never thought I could do anything. I never thought I would become a, a finance person or a money person. And here I am teaching people on a daily basis and helping people become wealthier and wealthier. And it's amazing. So it's incredible how far you can go as a human being when you believe in yourself. But that has to be the first step. You have to look at what's under your own hood. get rid of the limiting beliefs and update them with things that support your dreams and then is to take care of all outflows in your life so where are you leaking money because you can be making a lot of money but you're leaking a lot of money with debt for example 
or with overspending because it's just a consumeristic kind of society. It's just on automatic, it's on autopilot. Are you just buying to buy because it's a new thing, right? So be smart about how your the money's outflowing from your life. It's always flows, outflows and inflows. So take care of any debt, first thing, by paying more than the minimum always, even if it's just a little bit, so that you're not just paying for the interest, you're actually eating away at the principal balance and you're actually decreasing that debt. And then take care of inflows. So start, if you have big dreams, start something that can support that lifestyle for you. Start that business. It doesn't matter if you fail, doesn't matter if you're scared, doesn't matter if you don't know what to do, start today. When I first started, I was doing like YouTube videos and I look back at them and they're absolutely horrible, okay? Like I'm embarrassed, but I keep them up to remind myself that we grow, we change, we get better. And that's that's the beauty of it, that human beings are so adaptable. We, we can become almost anything that we make ourselves, but we have to be the creators of it. We have to choose to go for it. And then we have to take steps every single day and be consistent with going after that and creating that. And you'll be surprised at how quickly your life changed. So I'm not promising that you're going to retire in a year, but I am promising that you can create a, like a dream life, a beautiful life for yourself where money is not something that you're constantly chasing, but money is a resource to help you achieve your goals and achieve your dreams. So it's not the goal, but it's, it's a resource to help you live like a rich life, not just in financial terms, in every sense. Well, there you go. Thanks for here for the <laughs> tips. I think I will have to write that down on a big A4 paper and then stick it on my door and read it every day so that I'll be motivated more. <laughs> and it, it is incredible to see the power of changing our mindset to grow our wealth. And we have learned a lot from Maria today from her journey, tips, and her achievements to keep us inspired. Thanks again, Maria, for sharing your views on this topic. For our listeners there, I hope you learned something new and tell us what is your goal. Make sure you follow our Instagram at Spill the Teapots. And Maria, would you like to share your social media as well? Of course. So it's at Millennial Money Queens. So you can find me on Instagram mostly, a little bit on Facebook as well. And uh, of course, the book, like Asia mentioned. So if you want to start with an easy read that should take, you know, just a couple of days over the weekend, hopefully, you know, under the sun or somewhere relaxed. It's very easy. It's not like the typical boring financial stuff. I can, I can verify that, guys. It's not boring. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks and hope you enjoyed this episode. Goodbye.